the city of splendors, crown of the north. And in our investigation into the murder and subsequent vampirization of Duke Moritan, we've split the party. Ledger and I are off to Southward Morgue, while Celine and Doran are hitting up Bayron the Fixer for information about that crystal we discovered. And I've got a sneaking suspicion that things are about to get a lot deeper than we originally realized. So yeah, the folks in the North Ward may call it the City of Splendors, but to everyone else, it's still just water deep. All right, welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Adventure They Wrote, Season 3, Cold Case. Uh, last time, we left off on a rare double cliffhanger. Ooh. Double cliffhanger last time. Team Melee investigating the mortuary, the morgue, uh, faced with a giant hobgoblin emerging from the back room, and Team Spellcaster infiltrating Bayron's establishment and uh, finding out that the crystal discovered by Max and Toad Doran is something very dangerous. So we will pick up this episode with Team Melee in the mortuary. All right. Facing Meredith, the fearsome receptionist having just called out this enormous hobgoblin. And this hobgoblin is dressed a bit incongruously. Uh, You would expect a hobgoblin to be in armor, uh, wielding perhaps a giant weapon of some kind. This hobgoblin, no. This hobgoblin is wearing a a leather apron, bloodstains across the front of it, and in his big, meaty mitts, uh, he's carrying a bone saw and a strange hooked implement. Uh, and he emerges from this back room facing now Ledger and Maximilian Murphy. And as he emerges from the room and he makes eye contact with you two, he, he rumbles in this deep bass voice. What seems to be the problem? Ledger sort of gives the hobgoblin a side glance and then locks his eyes right back to Meredith. Meredith, I'm not sure what your play is here, but I would hate for something horrible to happen to your associate. Perhaps we should just keep this conversation between us. This feels more like a persuasion check, Ledger. So let's see if we can redeem your disastrous intimidation check (laughs) from last episode. Ledger has a plus four persuasion, which puts it at 22. Ooh. 18 on the dice. There you go. Very, (laughs) very persuasive. We'll go ahead and call that one redeemed. Does Max feel the air sort of starting to do that that heat up thing? The um, the pre rage feeling that Ledger gets now that he has this this heat power as part of his barbarian feature. Uh, yes, it has been warming up already. Uh, you know, as we left off on the last episode, it's you know the temperature in that area of the room is definitely increasing. Uh, but Ledger, yes. Is remaining kind of calm, but but um, you know very assertive. Yes, in um, 
his conversation with uh, Meredith. Max uh, kind of puts a hand on Ledger's arm and and says, "Hey, um, uh, the uh, the the files that we need are are paper. So um, uh, make sure that you." that you rage inside the morgue and not out here with the files. If you know what I mean. <laughs> Does that little goblin wink? <laughs> I'm a paragon of calm. I can't imagine anything other. Right. He would... Max turns to Meredith and says he would never fly into a rage that he could not come out of. Ever. It's all good. We're all good here. You good? Yeah, she she nods. She listens to you, and I mean, she's got like a bead of sweat rolling down her temple now, um, a combination of the stress and the heat in the room. And she waves the hobgoblin off, and uh, he he gives you guys a look again, and then he 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 looks at you, Ledger specifically, and he says, "Keep your nose clean." And then he leans down so that he can get through that door and heads back into the the mortuary in the back room. That was a brilliant decision, Meredith. And um, Max, what what questions might might you have for Meredith here? She seems inclined to cooperate with our investigation, which is quite a prudent choice. Max grins and he looks up at her. Hi. And uh, says, we are super interested in finding out what's going on with the bodies here. And uh, it's clear, it's clear that you know what we're talking about. So why don't you just um, help us out? Help us out so that we don't have to, um, you know, get the law involved. So Meredith sits back down at her desk and shuffles some papers nervously in her hands and she says uh, perhaps this is an issue that if we were able to resolve, if I were able to help you out mm. uh, this this stays perhaps between us and it's an issue resolved here and now. That's what we're looking for. Right. Not with anyone from the castle district. Yes. Yes. She says, she says, yes. I feel like that's probably a really good decision. So she, she reaches into a desk drawer and she pulls out a, a note card. A gun. <laughs> a gun. <laughs> what? <laughs> <laughs> this turn, this took a weird turn. That would be a very noir turn. It would. It's it like would. one of us just gets shot in the gut. <laughs> it's a heavy crossbow underneath the thing that just goes through the wood and into Max's stomach. Yeah. Dun, dun, dun. And that was the end of the series. The cliffhanger to season three came. Yeah. <laughs> Came nine mi- nine minutes into the episode. Really weird. No, she reaches in, she pulls out some note cards, and she says, it's possible uh, that hypothetically bodies were removed from the morgue and delivered to two addresses. Oh, all right. She writes down one and slides it across the table to you. And she says, this one may be, you might, you, you probably will recognize this one. It sounds, um, 
And is it the uh, the Red Gauntlet? This is the Red Gauntlet Inn and Tavern. And um, she goes on to say uh, these bodies were delivered in the middle of the night. Of course. And guards were paid uh, to turn a blind eye. And she writes down another number. She it's it's just thirty two. And she says, and this this is how many uh, bodies hypothetically were delivered to that address. Thirty two. In theory, of course, I understand. Fletch the DM does that uh, match up with roughly what we found as we were um, investigating the laboratory. Yeah, that jives with all the records that you guys saw and what you were able to do a visual inspection of. Um, this That feels right. Got it. Uh, Meredith goes on to say that uh, the procurer was very choosy about the bodies that were delivered to that locale. Oh, really? Uh, very selective about what was delivered there. Uh, what do you mean? Well, they all had to be well taken care of. They had to be healthy when they passed. Um, they had to be uh, fit and well-fed and clean. The rabble did not get sent to the tavern. Right. Hypo- hypothetically. Hypothetically, yes, absolutely, absolutely. Um, so, I guess a follow-up question for my own curiosity and edification: um, Where, how did you replace those bodies for when family and you know funeral home people came to pick them up? Hypothetically, hypothetically. Meredith says that. The remains would have otherwise been cremated. Oh, I see. Okay. Right. And you, nobody can tell whose ashes are whose. <laughs> that's how I'm going to go. <laughs> so that's the first address. L- let's talk about the second address. Yes. So she she taps her... She's got a quill in her hand that she's writing these notes on, and she taps it against this card thoughtfully before she writes anything down. Um, and then she gives a very considering look to Ledger before she swallows and writes down another address. And this address is a mausoleum in the City of the Dead. And then she thinks again for a second, and underneath, she just writes everything else. And she slides that across the table at you. So this is where the rabble went. She says that's where everything else went. All right. Now, this is going to be the hard question. And I know that. And I feel for you. I just want you to remember our agreement about how this can just take, this can all just be handled right here. And right now, uh, with the ease and comfort of a goblin detective and his bookkeeper who is absolutely as gentle as a cat. Um, who was procuring these bodies? Yes, who? She says, I don't have a name. I worked through a middleman. All right. Hook me up with that middleman. Uh, she says he introduced himself to me as Reach. Reach. 
And I know, not because he told me, but because I have my own sources, that he is a gate guard at the City of the Dead. (laughs) What was his childhood like? (laughs) Does he have any brothers? And he has two brothers. (laughs) Ledger wants to assess the situation and and see if he thinks that all of this is is being um, given to him on the up and up. Uh, Roll an insight check. And while I roll, while you roll that, I'll tell you that uh, uh, Reach has a stepmother. His stepmother is a seamstress. Uh, Reach himself uh, always aspired to be a guard. It's what he wanted to do. It's what his dad did. Yeah, family business. Yeah. Oh, nice. That's fun. Followed in his father's footsteps. And uh, I, I hate to be that player, but can can Max roll the insight check too? You don't need to. <laughs> Ledger's hot. I'm tonight. confident in my role. What did you get? What did you get, Ledger? Seventeen on the dice, so that's a twenty-two. Yes, this all seems legit. Uh, Meredith is both intimidated by you and concerned for her hobgoblin friend. All right, so Max taps his clawed finger on the business card that he had slid across the desk and he was like look <clears throat> we get it times are tough you got to do what you can these bodies are dead anyway um my request to you if anything else comes up please let us know it's not this isn't an issue that we have with you with your system with the morgue with any of that we are working with something a lot bigger so if you can help us, we can try to keep you out of harm's way. She considers the card and then shuffles some more papers and puts them down on top of the card and then kind of files the whole thing away into her desk drawer uh, from which she took out the cards, the note cards that she had written those addresses on. As she puts the stuff away, Max will uh, look up at Ledger and nod and be like, all right, let's, you know, let's get out of here. And um, he'll turn and kind of speak very loudly at the door to the back. And he'll say, bye, super intimidating, creepy hobgoblin more guy. Meredith, it's been an absolute delight. Uh, If you need anything, please look us up. Bye, Meredith. And uh, Ledger will just do a little bit of a knowing nod and then depart with Max. Yeah, Meredith does not look like she's going to call anytime soon. It's okay, we know where you work. Or reach out. I mean, I guess there's not a lot of calling going on in Waterdeep, but... Right. Send a, send a carrier pigeon. Carrier pigeon, one of those little Sending lizards stone. from her. Yeah. Message spell. That's, that's not going to happen. So, um, you guys, uh, uh, you leave the morgue, you walk up the stairs, back up to the street, and uh, you find that in the time that you were in there, uh, a really terrible winter storm has kind of swept down on the city uh, driving sleety snow and rain that freezes the second it hits your skin uh, visibility is not very good It's it feels like it's gotten even colder just miserable miserable weather out here hey hey Ledger would you like to rage I'm, I'm a little cold <laughs> I can't imagine what you mean <laughs> uh, jokes so as where are you heading now? Are you are you going to Bayrons to meet up with Celine and 
uh, Mink stole Doran. Ledger would be more inclined to head back to the office and let them do that work on their own. Yeah, sync up at the office later. I feel like that's the right that's the right call. In that case, you guys pull your collars up in typical noir fashion and head off into the sleety, foggy, rainy mess. And we will cut over to Celine and Mink Stole Doran. Celine, you have just heard Bayron tell you that the crystal that you've shown him is something terribly dangerous. And his his question before we ended the last episode was, where did you find something so dangerous? So she's going to look at him uh, and ask if, you know, she could have a drink really quick. And then look up at one of the bouncer guys and see if he'll wander to the bar. Yeah, he does the cool bad guy thing where he doesn't look at the server. He just sort of raises a a hand a little bit and the bouncer nods and heads over to the bar. I feel like everyone in Waterdeep knows your drink, so they're not going to ask. Yeah, no, it's probably not necessary. Yeah. (laughs) Something will come back that she'll accept. So she's going to lean in and she'll say, Well, Bayron, one of my associates found this uh, when we were investigating the case. And as she's leaning in, um, she's going to try a sleight of hand and pull the card out of her pocket. And is is Doran still on my lap? Yeah, he's chilling. He's actually watching Bayron's hands. To make sure he doesn't pull out like a crossbow or because that's the other okay. noir move, the heavy crossbow yeah. under the table. Oh my god. Under gosh. the table. We've got all these crossbows under tables and none of them are real. It's well, really disappointing. <laughs> she's gonna <laughs> she's gonna slip a card to Doran under the table, and hopefully he will take a look at it. Oh, the secret card uh-huh. that was slipped into your pocket on your way to the tavern. Yeah. Yeah, well, Doran will totally read that. Um, okay. Uh, so we're handling a few threads here. Doran, you're, you're going to check out the card? Yeah. You're checking out the card. I want you to roll and let's see. You're a mink. That's probably smell, right? There's no real stat block for mink. So well, I'm using like... Maybe weasel. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. Weasel. Yeah, see. it's close. Ferret. Yeah, I got, I got weasel right here. Uh, advantage on hearing or smell. Great. Roll an investigation, but I'm going to give you advantage because of your smell advantage. And while you're rolling, we'll do Bayron real quick. So, Celine, you've told him that you found it in the course of this investigation. And Bayron says, fascinating. Where did you happen to come across it? He doesn't look like he wants it. You're getting that sense from him. He places it back down on the table Mm -hmm. and he slides it across to you and is, you know, ready for you to have it in your possession again. That's a uh, 13 for investigation. So the card is totally blank. Oh. But you do smell something on it. And that thing is? <laughs> you don't know. You, you haven't smelled it before. Oh, something new. So there's something here, but you don't know what it is. Do I want to lick the corner of the card? Oh, no, Dora. <laughs> 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 um... 
Casper goes wild. <laughs> <laughs> Don't do that. You'll kill us. <laughs> oh, that's a good point. Dor- Doran's going to ask Casper, too, if he knows what that smell is before he looks. Oh, that is a good point. All right. Casper rolled a 20 on his insight. So he's able to tell you. But will he? He's able. <laughs> yes. Yeah. He's actually you sense from Casper uh, some excitement, like a little bit of excitement when he smells it. Ooh. And he that overcomes his normal reticence to to give you any information or tell you stuff like this is actually this has piqued his curiosity a little bit. Um, he tells you that that smell is oftentimes used to send secret messages. It's a magically invisible cool. ink. Yeah, Doran, Doran in, inside the mindscape, Doran will peer through the cage of Casper's cell and he'll be like, that's so cool! <laughs> Casper responds, he's like, I know! And then he catches himself a minute and recedes back into his mind prison. Like, he's he's mortified that he has shown you that enthusiasm. Because we're buddies. Stockholm Syndrome. It still works. It's getting there. <laughs> All right, well, that doesn't seem something that needs to warrant attention at the moment, so Doran will put it back in. Do you have a pocket? A yeah. purse? It's a pocket thing? in my pocket. big coat. Put it back in the pocket. A little thumbs up if you look down. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to ignore Doran moving around on my lap so that it's not obvious that something is going on. And Doran finally has a place where he can scream out loud without bothering anybody, so that's great. Yeah. <laughs> Inside the <laughs> mind prison. Um, so, Celine, uh, Bayron uh, wanted to know where specifically you found this thing. Does he seem afraid of it? I'm trying to figure out what he, why he wants to know exactly where I got it so badly. Roll an insight check for me. That's a natural 20. Whoa! <laughs> Plus zero, so 20. <laughs> you guys are on fire tonight. I might have to throw an investigation or uh, an interrogation at you just to see what happens. <laughs> see if we can actually handle it. Yeah! Um, you have his number, and I think you have his number because this is an expression that you've seen on faces a lot. Um, he is scared, but curious. And this is a strange expression for Bayron, especially because he's kind of, he's like a, a heavy hitter in Waterdeep. He, especially in like the criminal underground, he's a guy that is normally not scared. He's normally the guy that's instilling fear. Uh, and something about this has him worried. He's hiding it pretty well. A regular good role might not have even kind of picked up on that. But I think because this is an expression that you've seen a lot as a tiefling, um, he is, that's what you see. That's what you see this curious terror. Well, she's going to answer him with a question first. Okay. She's going to take it off the table and slide it back into her other pocket away from the card that Doran just put in, just because now she knows that it's dangerous given that he's afraid and ask him, well, what does it do? Bayron taps the table 
thoughtfully. He's initially looked at where the crystal went. He followed its path kind of off the table and into your pocket. And he, he keeps looking for just a couple seconds before his eyes snap up to yours. And he considers you. And he continues to tap his fingertip against the table. And then he looks over one shoulder to see if the bouncer that he had sent for the drinks is returning. Um, And when he finds that the coast is clear, so to speak, he leans forward and he says, My dear, that is an empty phylactery. What? Whoa. (laughs) (laughs) Can Doran hear that? Yes. Celine, you can roll a arcana check. Okay. Doran, you can roll religion or arcana. Celine got an 11. Doran got an 8. Okay. Doran doesn't know, but Celine does. Grinning a little bit here as I speak, because I know we probably have some listeners that aren't huge D&D buffs Mm -hmm. um, who heard that reaction, who heard you know, everyone kind of go, whoa, which first of all, thank you. That was delicious. <laughs> and genuine. Additionally, yeah. <laughs> so to, to for Celine, and uh, so that Celine knows Doran does not, and for our listeners who are not colossal nerds, a phylactery is um, a magical construct that houses the soul of a lich. And a lich is a super powerful undead wizard. Uh, these are usually the um, big bad guys of much larger campaigns. And to speak outside the game just a little bit, uh, heroes that are more powerful than our adventurers, typically. So, um, Celine, because of your wizardy background, because you are familiar with magic and the arcane, you know this. You've heard stories of adventurers who have gone up against liches and you know, maybe not all of them returned. So you know exactly how dangerous something like that could be. Well, I think if if Selene is that aware of exactly what it is, necromancy isn't necessarily unfamiliar to her anyways, but she was freaked out by what she saw in the laboratory when they were actually at the Red Gauntlet. So you can tell by her face that she's becoming uncomfortable and she's starting to look around for her drink. And she'll look back at Bayron right in the eyes and say, Oh my, well, I suppose we should probably find out what caused it to become empty. If you don't mind, I'd really like that drink. Uh, Bayron's bouncer comes back and he places glasses in front of you and Bayron. Um, these hold a fine dwarven fire spirit uh, and not fire spirit like an elemental fire like a liquor fireball yeah <laughs> so he, he places those down in front of you and then sort of re- resumes his position before Bayron shoes him away a little bit less cool than he did last time he's like get the hell out of here <laughs> how many drinks did he put in front of her uh, just one. <laughs> oh, I thought you said so, them. I'm sorry. He puts he puts a drink in front of you and a drink in front of Bayron. So she takes hers very quickly, and then she looks at Bayron and said, 
Do you mind if I have that one too? He he pushes it across the table. He's like, "Your like." His face says, <laughs> "It's all yours." You're the one with an empty phylactery in your pocket. <laughs> she takes it. <laughs> Just a little bit of table talk. If the people who had that in in the past that got burnt down had a spent phylactery, that implies they were either treasure hunters or adventurers strong enough to spend some lich's phylactery. Mm-hmm. 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 Which is not good for us, I don't think. <laughs> no, not currently. <laughs> That's why I had her take two drinks. What Sam the player is trying to figure out, based on my knowledge of liches and phylactery, you destroy it to get rid of the lich. So what I'm trying to figure out is if this is something that is someone preparing to use. So it's basically like it's the object, but it hasn't stored the soul of the lich yet or what might be happening there. Jason, the player, is wondering if this means that somebody had quote-unquote killed the lich and not found the phylactery, meaning that the phylactery was used to reconstitute the lich, and then this is what was left of it. What if they scared the lich so much that the lich was like, I gotta make a new phylactery. They got my phylactery, I'm making a new one. Well, that would be ideal, because then it won't show up and regenerate with the phylactery in my pocket. (laughs) That would be unfortunate. It would be unfortunate. I'm just an animal. Don't mind me. (laughs) In my head, um, you guys are all urban adventurers. Even Brad. Brad was, you know, a, a woodland druid that came to the city and became an adventurer in the city. Right. So... Being a, a urban adventurer, you probably wouldn't have a ton of exposure to liches. It's not like liches are walking around in Waterdeep, but you would hear stories about them. Not a lot of liches in the circus. Yes, yeah, exactly. I think maybe we're learning that they are just walking around in Waterdeep. <laughs> <laughs> or, yeah, perhaps. <laughs> Baron, where do you suppose something like this might have been emptied. Bayron looks over to a mantle over a, a hearth. Um, and, you know, there's a, a serving man building a fire, getting ready for the lunch crowd, um, trying to heat the, the interior up a little bit. But he's not looking at that. He's looking over the fireplace on the mantle where a sword hangs and his eyes get far away for a second. He's, it's like he's looking through the sword and he stares so long at it, you're, you're about to say something and just before you open your mouth, he looks back at you and he says, it may not have been full in the first place. So what you're saying is it might be filled at any moment? She looks really nervous. (laughs) (laughs) Bayron says it has been prepared but it still requires a ritual. And Selene would know that the ritual would need to be done by somebody 
a very high level, I assume. Yes, again, this this goes back to your sort of passive passive understanding of, of adventuring topics in general. Mm-hmm. Liches are big baddies. Dwayne, the wizard apprentice at the Magic Academy, would not be able to instill a soul in a phylactery. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's very high level uh, wizards and magic users that are capable of doing that. I see. Well, if it hasn't been used... What happens if we can destroy it? Um, Bayron says, I don't believe an object like that could be destroyed by anyone but the Blackstaff. And then a quick aside for the not nerds. uh, The Blackstaff is the chief wizard of Waterdeep. Vajra Safar the uh, biggest and scariest wizard protecting the city. So, Celine, again, you're keyed into the um, the goings-on of the magical community within Waterdeep, so you know that uh, Vadra Safar is the current black staff of Waterdeep. All right. I think at this point, um, she's going to tap her shoulder and see if she can get Doran to, like, climb back up into his stole position. Climb back up on his own? Yeah, not pick him up. Just tap. <laughs> All right, yeah. <laughs> that is kind of a... Uh, that's a power move. I like that. Yeah. Like, <laughs> Celine sh- <laughs> showing Bayron that she has a magic mink stole that climbs up <laughs> into place when she's ready to go. Dor- Doran will climb around her shoulders and halfway before biting his own tail, lightly, he'll give Bayron a look in a huge minxy grin and then he'll go do it. For just a second, for just a split second, you see, like, mirth in Bayron, like, in the corners of Bayron's mouth. He's just like, oh! But then he, he tamps it down and he hides it. Well, Bayron, I can't tell you how much I appreciated your help. I would recommend staying away from the Red Gauntlet Inn for a while. <laughs> And then she'll just kind of gesture and walk out the door. Uh, before you, yeah, before you leave, Bayron says, uh, I was just considering a vacation out of the city. <laughs> oh, no. And then he, he, wa- he sort of gets the attention of his bodyguard and he says, one more and orders another drink for himself. So I think Celine will walk back to the office to let everyone know what's going on, potentially convince them that they have another visit to make. Awesome. So you guys, you're, you, you leave the tavern to find the same thing that Max and Ledger found. Really terrible winter weather. Um, and you, fortunately, you have the living mink stole, so you're... <laughs> sounds warm. She pulls her big hood up around it, though, so he doesn't get too chilly. Okay. <laughs> I like that. Like, have you seen, like, the big Skeksis in the Black Crystal with the big hoods? Oh, yeah. Ritual hood kind of thing? That. She gets another nice little thumbs up. Yeah. 
And all of you realize that there aren't a lot of people on the streets, even fewer than there would normally be during weather like this. Even with crappy weather and water deep, there would still be some folks out and about, you know, collecting, doing their last minute shopping and um, trying to, uh, you know, basically batten down the hatches, right, for what looks like could be a a pretty bad winter storm. Now you see very few, fewer than you normally would. And you can almost sense a weight in the air. Some sort of impending uh, force. That being said, all of you make it back to the office and you arrive and enter you know kick the 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 fire back to back to life the stove or whatever is in the office to provide heat um and then we'll you know to save us and the audience time we'll just say (laughs) fill each other in on the goings on that you've experienced today uh in your mutual investigations i would love to see if max uh knows a little bit more about phylacteries than uh, what Jason the player knows when she brings it up. Yeah, that would be great. Um, So let's do this. Let's have uh, Ledger and Max. uh, You can roll Arcana or Religion checks for the phylactery. Uh, Max got in uh, 15 on the dice, so 18 all day for either, because I have plus three on both. Oh, Ledger is 17. Um, so both of you have heard a little bit more about phylacteries. Ledger, possibly because of the time that you've spent on the sea, around adventurers who were, you know, traveling to and fro. And Max, possibly because of the time you spent in the library. Um, you know, maybe you found a book on it or overheard conversations while you were there researching Noir crime solvers. Liches for dummies is right there on the shelf in the library. Yeah. <laughs> it's, the, it, it's the yellow spine. It, it just reaches out and grabs you. Yeah. It, yeah. It just pops. So while you guys uh, know everything that um, we've sort of gone over, again, the additional insight that I can provide you is that you also are aware that while there is this perception that liches are kind of the be-all end-all like they're they're one of the big baddies they're they're one of the adventuring boogeymen um along with you know beholders and dragons and um demons yes yeah (laughs) there are there's also a scale of strength within liches and that you know a, a brand new lich is going to be much weaker than a crusty centuries-old lich, that that magic power continues to grow, and that a brand-new lich can prepare and imbue a phylactery easily and quickly. It is the most powerful of liches that have a difficult time and have to prepare a phylactery and then imbue it in a in a larger ritual. Well crap, there goes my theory. <laughs> I thought maybe they interrupted the creation of an original lich, so yeah. no problem there. <laughs> <laughs> um I think Selena's gonna pull out the card because I 
would assume that would be the next thing that she would share. Like, she shared all of the information that she learned from Bayron about that first. Right. So she's going to take out that card. And I don't know, is Doran still a mink? Uh, Nah, he would have turned back to have that conversation that we clearly had. Yes. The team, the team talk. During which he also would have divulged the information about the, not only Casper being his best friend, yes, but... (laughs) That the card had a specific code, coded smell to it. So Selena's going to take a look at it and see, like, what does she know about um, that type of spell, ink? Nothing. You've never heard of it. So she's going to walk over to the fire, because she saw this one time, where if you put, like, a special coded paper, she, she watched this with the, there was a ringmaster that was basically smuggling people back in the circus and he was trading some of the other tieflings, and when he was passing messages back and forth, she was spying on him one time because she was trying to still escape at that point, and she saw him get a a message from someone and and do that. So you hold it up to the flame? Yeah, just near it. Like to warm it? Yes. Uh, Nothing happens. Hmm. Well, do we know anybody who uh, has any sort of expertise in this arena. Fletch, what might Ledger know about this sort of thing with his background of of dealing a lot with the (laughs) criminal world? Bookkeeping? Hiding things? I mean, tracking them (laughs) always on the up and up? Uh, Roll an insight check. That is a 16 on the dice plus 5, so 21 on insight. You guys... Um, So what you know is that this is beyond all of the methods that you've employed and that you've seen employed in the day-to-day criminal hiding and protecting of secret information. Um, This is a level beyond uh, what you've seen and dealt with. This is the 64-bit encryption (laughs) of the uh, criminal underworld, so to speak? Yeah. Okay. Does Doran think that dispelling magicking the card would remove the entire message or just the protection? Or if he's not sure, then he probably wouldn't do it, but... I can't imagine that anyone would give us a message that they didn't want us to read. This is curious. Is there a command word on the back of the card? She flips it over. Hmm. It doesn't look like it. Just looks like it's blank. Abracadabra. <laughs> Nothing. No dice. <laughs> Doran will just start speaking random gnomish words, thinking that it's <laughs> gonna be a gnomish spell. I love, I love the idea that that's Doran's like per- perception of magic beyond his druidism. Just saying words. Yeah. Like for druid stuff, he's like, no, this is, it's the nature. It's connected to the world. I am the mink. But then magic, he's just like, random words. (laughs) Well, they did say command words, so he's like, I'm gonna give this a shot. (laughs) (laughs) I know commanding words. (laughs) Doran, so for, uh, for an insight perspective thing on the ink and dispel magic specifically, Casper was very clear that the smell was an ink, but somehow a magic ink. So you're not sure if the dispel magic would dispel the magic on the ink 
or if it would dispel magic ink. Ah, uh, I see. Never mind then. I don't want to take a risk with it. I, it was a good thought. I thought it was a good thought. It gave Celine another idea. She has see invisibility. If she casts the invisibility, could she see the code? She can try. That's a cool idea. So she's going to do that. All right. At a second level. Cast that. Oh, you're casting it at a second level. I can see clearly now the rain is gone. Okay, so uh, you cast see invisibility and um, the card in front of you uh, for just a brief minute remains totally blank and then a shape begins to shimmer in the ink uh, across the surface of it and within moments in sort of a translucent iridescence you can very clearly see the shape of a harp (gasps) on the surface of the note card oh Hello, everybody. It's Jason, your producer here. Thank you for listening to episode nine of Cold Case. We just finished recording our season finale, and I cannot wait for you to get there with us. Only a few more episodes to go. It's going to be so good. As always, a few thank yous at the end of the show. Tabletop Audio and Bugbear Bubbles have been wonderful supporters, and we would not be able to make the show happen without them. If you missed seeing Cat of Bugbear Bubbles on the Very Very Shopping Network on Friday the 28th, please go check out the VOD. It was really fun seeing her show off some of the new stuff that they're going to have available soon, including a D20 soap on a rope. And it's going to come in different class styles. I'm very excited about the Druid and the Ranger and maybe the Rogue. Anyway... We're going to post a link to the Twitch VOD, and don't forget that you can grab all of the gelatinous cube soap that you will ever need at bugbearbubbles.com. Every time you wash your hands is an adventure with Bugbear Bubbles. Also, Tabletop Audio continues to kill it with amazing 10-minute soundscapes for all of your gaming needs. We're members of their Patreon. You can be, too. You can get access to all of the alternate tracks, sound effects only, music only versions of the different tracks that Tim produces. Go check them out. They're amazing. Tabletopaudio.com. And thank you for always letting us use your work royalty-free. Finally, I want to say a few words about something that we learned after the plot of the season was written. As you may be aware, a lot of us in the D&D community have been working on being more inclusive and more aware of how different words, tropes, and unintentional bias can negatively affect the people that we play with. In the course of producing this episode, we discovered that the fantasy trope of the lich's phylactery might have some negative associations for some of our listeners. While the word phylactery isn't the issue, it's the potential negative association with real-life heritage and real-life beliefs that have caused some frustration and some pain. We want to make sure that our show doesn't do any of that. So please let us know if there are any ways that we can make our show more inclusive for you, and we will keep doing our best and listening to the members of our community most affected. As always, we appreciate that you make us part of your podcast rotation every other week. Thank you for listening, and tune in next time for more mystery. What seems to be the problem? I'm excited for this accent to be uh, carried out throughout the episode. <laughs> With perfect consistency. Oh, just you wait. <laughs> what should Talia sing for that? Pony by Genuine. Invisible Touch? Nothing? No one? Hold on. I'm, no? I'm trying to find. I don't know that one. You don't know Pony by Genuine? I don't know that one either, sorry. I chortled a bit, but yeah. Oh my God. I might know the song, I just don't know the name of it. Uh, I'm that guy. 
I don't know the names and artists of anything. I don't know the name or artists of anything. My pony. Get no. Oh, yeah. I, I know. It. My pony. Well, I can see clearly now the rain is gone. Ooh, that's pretty good. That's not a bad idea. <laughs> Hold on a second. She seems to have an invisible toucha. I can see clearly now the rain is gone. 